0: This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com, on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. What a massive show we have today. Our news is going to be effectively live with Tim Edwards the team boss for Tickford Racing, finding out how the team's going heading up into Darwin and a couple of other stories that are around as well. We'll also catch up with Mike Henry from Sonic Racing, a man that's had a massive career through motor racing, including supercars, Formula One, Le Mans racing, and a whole lot of other things as well. Look forward to catching up with Mike and Richard Crowell to join me there as well. Then Mark Walker to join me a little bit later on with Richard to have a chat about what else is happening in the world of motorsport. So much to come. Let's kick it off. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, time to catch up with uh, team Angel and team boss for Tickford Racing, or racing boss for Tickford Racing, Tim Edwards. How are you, mate, up there on the central coast of New South Wales? Welcome.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I'm all right. I mean, I'll, I'll be happy if it's sunny, but yeah, it's, um, um, not that we're doing much. We're just sitting in houses, um, twiddling our thumbs, so the Netflix is getting a fair old workout. Sort of one of those weird ones, isn't it? You had
0: to get away to make sure that you got into Darwin, but effectively, you're not doing any different to what you would have been doing had you have been here in Victoria.
1: No, correct. We've just got to abide by the same restrictions that are in Victoria. So, you know, we're allowed to go outside for two hours and uh, essential. So, it's been a, I'm sharing a house actually with Cam Waters and Maddie, my team manager, and uh, we've all been taking it turns at cooking. And those pair actually, that, that pair did a fantastic roast pork on Sunday night. Mm. So, it's, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not all bad. No, I'm sure
0: not. And last, First of all, I want to ask you the question in regards to last year compared to this year and the, the trip away last year was so very rushed, I suppose, and there must have been a little bit of adrenaline about it all and getting out of Melbourne in 12 hours and over the border and all that sort of stuff. This year it would have been a little bit more nicely done?
1: Oh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, to be honest... When we first decided to go, we thought it was going to be a rush again. So we actually did exactly the same as we did last time. We frantically put the cars and everything in the truck. Yeah. And once we would got, I mean, don't forget, we were close to going to Winton anyway at that point. So we yeah. weren't far away. So we just thought, let's be proactive. We don't know how quick we've got to go here. Let's get everything in the truck, ready to go. And, um, and then as it turned out, you know, it sat in the truck, but the truck still left on the it had to leave on the Monday morning before a couple of days before us because obviously it needs to cross into end earlier than we do. So the truck, you know, only a couple of days later after we loaded it anyway. So, look, you know, yes, we had a little bit more time, um, but. I suppose you know we also had a bit more time to think about it and having lived it last year you know you can imagine it was um it was a bit of pill for, for you know for the team to to swallow and go home and explain to their partners and in fact we haven't got the full compliment here we didn't get that and i don't think any of the victims have you know there's just some people that just said no nah, not doing it um which is understandable i mean yeah. it was a big it was a big ask on, on individuals and their families last year and you know, there's, there's all kinds of situations, people moving houses, people having babies. You know, you've just got to accommodate those things. And um, uh, and so, you know, we'll adapt, you know. It um, might be a bit tricky for pit stops. You know, some people not normally doing the jobs they, they do, but, yep. you know, the big teams the team, gander on the back foot, but at the end of the day, the priority is to keep the show on the road. Jim, just clarifying what you
0: just said, so the truck's actually in New South Wales, so you don't have the cars with you on the Central Coast?
1: No, nah, they're, um, they're, they're down in Sydney where okay. we parked the trucks. So, um, but yeah, they'll leave there. Um, I think they got, they're leaving Friday um, and then they head up and then they'll get to the NT border, um, you know, I think Monday next week, which is when they would typically cross into Northern Territory anyway, because it's still a couple of days drive up um, once they get into NT. So they needed to be, you know, 48 hours or so before us.
0: So how tough is that? At least last year you had the cars with you. And you could work on them this year. It seems to be like a two-week gap where you can't even touch the cars.
1: Well, it's yeah, it's it's not ideal because at the moment the cars are set up for winter, and so they've got different drop gears in different setups. We're going to have a busy old time when we when we actually do get up to Northern Territory. But you know, mechanically they're set, they're ready to go. So you know, whether you know the engine life and you know the life of all the components essentially is is ready. Um, It's just that we'll have to adapt the car and set it up for, for Darwin, which you know is a good couple of days' work, which we'll be cramming into a day
0: you mentioned that you're uh, roomating with Cam Waters at the moment you must be pretty happy with life uh, things aren't going too bad there's been a couple of incidents it would have been nice if they didn't happen but at the end of the day still sitting uh, up there in the championship i think uh, a couple of hundred points away from Shane
1: yeah look we're we're in the hunt and that's all we endeavor to be you want to be in the hunt and yeah we've had a we've had a, a bit of bad luck in a couple of races and you know in fact you know both him and Chaz, you know two of the you Know, um, got taken out one race. I mean, yeah, it was. Um, oh, look, I don't, you know, I, I don't blame Chaz in any way for it. It was just, you know, they're both the victim of circumstances, but yeah, quite bizarre that you know, both of them handed another chunk of points to Gizzy on a platter.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's the uh, it's the story that just keeps on giving. We, we love, it love it in it the media. I'm
1: sure you do. Great, right. you know. The, the, I think Nathan at Supercars TV's just got it spooled up, ready to go. You know, it's uh, the, the greatest hits of those two. They literally, the second they have an accident, boom, up comes greatest hits, and, and they they roll off half a dozen instances. Yeah, yeah, they don't have to go
0: trolling for it anymore. No, they're right there. The uh, the fingers on the button, mate. Downsville, uh, down to Townsville, a three week break. You guys expected to stay away? Or will you be coming home?
1: No, no, we'll we'll be coming home on Sunday night. Um, That that was the commitment that was made to all of Victorian teams. Um, You know, that's still five weeks away. So, you know, everything's trending in the right direction in Victoria at the moment. You know, they they understand where every case is coming from and obviously the numbers dropping by the day. So, you know, we're still hopeful that, you know, in five weeks time, things will be opened up and we'll be able to travel up there as normal.
0: A lot of things happening in the world of supercars at the moment. I want to get your thoughts on the Gen 3 situation and the delay in the release of the car until August of 2022—good or bad scenario?
1: Well, it's actually, uh, it, yeah, it's a—it's a delay to when we're racing it, not a delay to when we're when we're releasing it. So okay. we'll still be, you know, we'll be—I mean, we're not backing off as a team, nor are any other teams. We're all flat out, you know. We'll be building them in the back half of this year. What it means, though, is you know we get to gradually. Um, implement them you know we can go testing you know it means we've got the first half of next year to actually understand the cars build the spares up so um it's a delay in when we're going to race them but it's not a delay when you know they'll still be on track you know early 22 no difference you know the date that we actually de- debut the team cars on track will probably not be much different to when we would have if we we're going racing at the first race yeah okay. it just gives us a much bigger window to actually prepare for the first race that's the only thing that's been stretched out so from a team point of view, I think it's 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 good. Um, yeah, it's a little bit strange that the mechanicals of the car will change halfway through the season, you know, they'll still have it'll still be a Mustang, it'll still have Monster or Truck Assist or yeah. whoever on the car, but mechanically it's gonna be different. And you know, this gives us a window that, you know, rather than the guys not having a Christmas break, um, because they're flat out building spares and spare cars and all those sort of things. Um, you know, the cars will be, will be ready and we'll roll them out, you know, I suspect probably, you know, maybe March next year or something like that and start having dedicated Gen 3 test days that will happen sort of on the side while we continue going racing with the current cars. So, um, you know, when you actually think about it and put it in that context, you know, it's... Apart from the strange bit about having mechanically a different car partway through a season, everything else is actually, in you know, the, the team support it. And I'm not aware of any team that's not in support of the, the decision that we've, we've made to, to delay the racing of it, not the implementation of it.
0: No, fair enough. Uh, Peter Adderton is uh, having a wild card shot at Bathurst with uh, Richie Stanaway and Greg Murphy announced today at Erebus. Was that uh, discussed with you guys to put in another Tickford car?
1: No, no, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I think you know whether he thought we are going to charge too much money. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. But I mean, look, had we been approached, we, we, we certainly would have considered it. But um, I think maybe there was probably more of an underlying issue there. That obviously Richie's had a past history with us, and maybe maybe um, Peter was being tactful there and not sort of poking the bear. <laughs> Um, you know, it might have been part of the deal that he did with Richie. That, yeah, you know, it, w- it won't be. It won't be one of the two teams you've driven with before. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe. Fair,
0: fair enough. Too, you surprised to see guys like Greg Murphy and Russ Lingle come back into the game for the one race?
1: Oh, it, it's it's certainly unusual. I mean, the reality is they're races, and you know, the pair of them will be. You know, I don't think you know when it's in, ingrained in you like it is with so many of us. Whether you're reporting on it like you do, or, or you know, administering in it like I do, you know, it's just it's it's in your vein. They'll be working pretty bloody hard in the background to ensure that they you know they don't embarrass themselves. You know, I'm sure they'll be they'll be doing a lot more exercise than they possibly were you know up until a month or two ago, um, which is good. I mean, look, you know, they're both high profile guys that have got a lot of history in the sport, so you know, give us a couple other cars to lap. Yep. <laughs> it's
0: interesting to see how they do go. Finally, mate, before we let you go, the uh, new tire, of course, was going to be released at Winton, the super, super soft, the uh, the dunlop there for the super cars. That's gonna be held over now for Darwin as being the first race. You don't get that soft launch on the tire anymore. You just go straight into a tyre that's probably gonna bring the car in every two laps.
1: Yeah, we're definitely going in at the deep end. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, we're always a bit nervous about going to Darwin, but we thought, well, at least we'll learn the tyre at Winton and understand and try and make it last. But instead, we're going to try and do that on than run at darwin so look there's no there's certainly no risk you know as far as the teams are concerned um or we certainly don't believe there is of of having sort of catastrophic failures like um like we had at Phillip island a few years or in fact like you saw in formula one on um at Azerbaijan yeah. on um, sunday night um what you could see is if it's very hard on the tires you could see blistering and much like we saw at taylor ben last year where all of a sudden you jettison five seconds a lap so um uh, you know i think that's probably what everyone's more nervous of rather than um ha- having um other failures just you know you just run out of rubber and um and um and start going a hell of a lot slower so you certainly don't want to be the one that that happens to does it mean the
0: teams are going to have to be very conservative in the camber that they run for the tyres
1: uh, yeah absolutely yeah well, we but there's not just camber there's you know there's a whole host of things yeah. you know the toes of the car the um, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to, and the drivers are going to have to try and look after, and particularly for that first race, you know, that's, uh, you know, with a couple of short practice sessions, you really don't get much to do, you know, much of a race run, It's um, we to to that Saturday afternoon, um, yeah, it could be quite entertaining or quite nerve wracking for the teams. Very much looking forward to it. I suppose you've got practice on a Friday
0: to sort of get your head around it, which might not be too bad.
1: Yeah, it's just you just don't get enough. You know, in, in practice, you're more focused on trying to get a balance in the car. And yeah, for sure, we'll try and do a long run. But a long run in practice could be eight to ten laps. You know, we've got to do a lot more than that on it in the in the race. You know, you just don't have the time to, to do anything more than that. So it doesn't matter you know, how hard you try. You know, we are going in, everybody. Um you know, into the great unknown. So, look, we're all in the same boat. Um, you know, there'll be teams that'll go, okay, let's go super conservative for the race and make sure, you know, we, we don't have the five second drop off. And there'll be others that'll go, well, let's go for glory and hope we're at the point. Look, I think it'll actually make some pretty entertaining racing, which is principally exactly why we've, we've um, you know, we're running this tyre.
0: Yeah, very much looking forward to it. Who's cooking tonight and what's for dinner?
1: Uh, it's Taco Tuesdays. So Ooh. I'm I'm cooking with my wife actually tonight. So tacos and fajitas.
0: All right. Well, I better let you go there, mate, and get those underway. Thanks for your time, Tim. As always, uh, enjoy you the rest of the uh, week and a half away, and have a great time up in Darwin. All right. Thanks, Tony. Tim Edwards joining us here on the grid. All right, joining me as always, Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowellsy.
2: Hello, Shebexter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Good. Uh, another lap around the sun. it's uh, yes, no, happy
0: look- birthday. Oh, stop it.
2: No, good. Really good. Uh, lots going on in the world. Obviously, uh, cracking Grand Prix, which we'll talk about a bit later on in the show. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed watching that from Azerbaijan. One street circuit to another in Formula 1. One was rubbish and the other one was <laughs> a thriller. So we really loved it. But I'm looking forward to getting into our featured guest of the week, Shebeks, because this man has some stories to tell. And I think we'll get a few of them out on the show this evening.
0: Yes, I'm sure we will. Uh, started his career back in sort of, uh, I suppose, supercars to an extent. One of the first employees for Holden Special Vehicles back in 1987. My God, he's been around for that long, he doesn't look a day over 60. Michael Henry joins us. Hello, Michael.
2: G'day, mate. How are you going? I think I feel 70.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a welcome
2: to the show and a massive backhand. That's how we roll here. That's and how here we roll the show,
0: mate. First of all, how's uh lockdown 4.0? Looking after your buddy, you're coping. Yeah, we're
3: good. We uh, we're making the most of it. It's um, homeschooling, so I'm at home with my daughter. I'm doing a bit of study myself, so we're at school together. We argue over who makes lunch and a bit of playground politics and off we go, really.
2: (laughs) Now, for people that uh, follow Australian motorsport, and and this podcast does go around the world, but uh, they will be familiar with you more recently for your exploits in Porsche Carrera Cup Australia and on the headsets to the likes of Michael Armand and uh, winning plenty of races and fighting championship battles. But your motorsport story goes a long way back where was your first introduction to the sport and and what sort of got you involved in the first place uh
3: for me uh, it was speedway um i grew up uh with a, a family a speedway followers may know the lacy's and um uh consider them a family uh and they're a wonderful old bunch um so going way back uh i was about 12 i think i got taken out to the melbourne Speed bowl to see a sprint car race and um, Blew me out of the water. I'd, I'd seen it on telly. I'd sort of watched it, sort of touring cars. I uh, remember probably my first memory of watching it on telly was uh, Rocky and the A9X at Amory Park. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, sorry, Iron Park. And, um, yeah, it was from there, really. So I went to the Speedway and it just was amazing. just fantastic. And from there, off we went.
0: I mentioned uh, your early gig with Holden Special Vehicles. You went there primarily as a mechanic?
3: Yep. So I'd done an apprenticeship in a Holden dealership and uh, and I'd actually tried to get a job working at Brockies, um, but they, they wouldn't have released me from my apprenticeship, bless them. Uh, and in hindsight, probably turned out okay because it was in that period of time where uh, HDT had their troubles. So, um, so a few colleagues that were at HDT ended up at HSV. Um, and I got a phone call one day to go and paint the floor um, before it opened. So it was from day one, really, which was great.
0: And that was sort of fortuitous, I suppose, to the extent that you uh, were in the, the Wilkinshaw group from that point on and remained with them for such a long period of time, especially through your, uh, your early exploits overseas in the UK. Yeah, it was uh,
3: – yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? You, sometimes you're in the right place at the right time and, and my involvement with Tom was uh, – I just changed my life, really. You know, it, it's something that um, I'll be ever forever grateful to him and, and all the people that, that i worked with that, that were under the umbrella. It was um, it was such a good company to be involved with. Tom was um, proper racer, and so for those of us that wanted to go racing, it was pretty easy. Um, you know, you got uh, a lot of fun, and there was some good blokes, and we got up to plenty of mischief. But uh, ultimately, it was all about going and racing properly, and and yeah, it was something that I was just lucky to be around. So it, it I think, in the end, I've had oh, six or seven periods of employment working for Tom, and uh, yeah, missing Massively, really.
2: We'll, we'll get to the international stuff soon, but I'm interested in those early days of HSV, and I, I suppose that the racing stuff was very closely linked to the road car program, and in the early days, the, the first HSV cars were homologation specials for the racing program as well, the Walkinshaw. Um, what, what was it like being on the ground floor of what would go on to become a really iconic part of the Australian motoring scene?
3: It was... Unbelievably good. I mean, it was one of those things where I suppose as a teenager growing up with Brocky at his powers, you know, in in those days of HDT, it was hard to envisage in the early days uh, with HSV being able to be any bigger than what HDT was, you know. It was a bit of a, you know, for all the mechanics that I worked with, HDT cars were the thing. So um, when HSV started, I don't think anybody realised just how big it could become. Um, So, I mean, in the early days, it was great. There was lots of mechanics. There were 15 of us initially, and we were in uh, Notting Hill um, and making cars from ground up. And, you know, in those days, you know, the the group A had, I think it was 23 bits of fiberglass on it. And uh, and there was a period of time early on where, you know, nine of every 10 that we had made went in the bin. (laughs) Um, Because at that point, Australia was in no position to manufacture at that level. Those sorts of cars, and it was something that, that we'd seen in Europe, but to do it here was a big thing. You know, I remember—I forget the name of the company or some of the companies, but I mean, Bobble made bits, and there was the mob that made those point ambulances. They were making fiberglass bits, and it was all over the place. Um, so to see it grow in those days was great. You know, to be involved in it, we had a press release day. I remember uh, where we took ten cars out to Calder and the journo's new um, lot. Trashed them to death, (laughs) killed them. And then um, the following weekend was the opening of um, the Thunderdome. So we had to get resurrect three cars out of the bits. And um, so we went down to Fisherman's Bend where they dumped them afterwards. And um, we spent all night pulling bits off ones and, you know, off one and putting it on another and and sort of made the, took the three best and and off we went. And um, so, yeah, I don't think you ever realise when you start that what you're involved with and then you know looking back at it in hindsight what you know led by john crown and what he built um you know with tom support was unbelievable you know it was i think at one point we were you know third fourth biggest manufacturer in the country mm. um, which was amazing just great
2: and were you strictly road car side or was there any crossover to the hrt side of the business and the motor racing side at that stage in the very early years this, that, that was all before HRT. So, mm-hmm. so Larry built the cars yep and raced them
3: and uh, there was plenty of good stories with those. so old Bernsey involved and, and uh, you know getting to, to meet Larry and, and uh, Neil at those points was pretty cool. We had a few HDT guys as well at uh, HSV. Um, and then HRT came sort of at the time when I uh, was you know, it was a bit of a crossover, but that was when I, I first stopped at HSV and uh, went back to uni. Yeah, okay. Interesting. So you saw it from afar. but Yeah. But, uh, and, and obviously, we all went up to Bathurst and, you know, we had those... I, mean, I was only a teenager. So, you know, you had those... And you were the annoying kid, mate. You go over there and clean the car, will you? Yeah. So we had plenty of that go on. Um. But, uh, yeah, you know, it wasn't... You weren't playing a part in the team specifically mm. at that point. They were definitely two different entities.
0: Yeah. And at uni, it was a degree in control systems engineering. <laughs> what yes, the hell is that? Yeah. Where do you find this stuff? Yes. <laughs> Mate, that's the <laughs> thing about being a good journey, <laughs> which well, i yeah, not.
3: That's what it was. It's electrical engineering, but in those days, you had a choice of control systems or general electrical or communications. And so, yeah, I chose the control stuff. It
2: was great. Love it. And when did the first move to Europe happen? When um, what, And what, what spurred that on? Basically,
3: (laughs) this will sound terrible, won't it? Because you keep pumping the tires up, and it's all not true. Um, At the time, my partner and I um, thought that we might be able to get a funded holiday in Europe off the back of my work experience for uni. (laughs) So uh, so, uh, I mean, that's as honest as it can be. Um, On a few beers on one Friday night with a mate, up at a mate's place, I hatched this plan that maybe we could do that. So, um, so in those days, no email. and and anything like that. So it was a handwritten letter. Well, I think I probably typed it out in the end, but it would have been bloody awful. Um, and posted it across to a gentleman called Andy Morrison, who had been here, uh, who put HSV together for uh, Tom. And so yeah, I sent Andy a letter, thinking, you know, dear Mr. Andy, you know, don't know if you remember me, but um, and it came back, and and oh, a phone call came back about three weeks later. In those days, you know, it took a couple of weeks for a letter to get to the UK. Um, and he said, yeah, what, what do you want? You know, I said, I want a job. <laughs> so, uh, they put me on, uh, the Volvo C70 road car project for TWR engineering. That was for 12 months. Uh, finished my degree. I came back to do that. And then, um, at the, in that period of time, when I was over there, they bought arrows. So, um, mm. I informed the powers that be that I was coming back, whether they liked it or not. And yeah. <laughs> um, I'll be having that job. Thanks very much. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So. Yeah, you know, we've gone from, you know, all those years of doing Speedway here of um, you know, every Saturday night to across the summer period for five or six months racing somewhere and and uh, and you did it for food, you know. It was something that um, you just loved doing it. So to find myself in the middle of a Formula One team was um, something else.
0: Different days back then to what they would be now, though, were they? they were, was Formula One back then more of like racing is meant to be? Um.
3: I'd never raced in Europe obviously before that so um, I'm not sure in the early days what I took in was how much of that was their racing culture and and how much of it was the Formula 1 culture if if there can be a difference Um, and I guess there is you know for us old hardened buggers these days you know races are races aren't they so it's it's something different to you know, we often get a lot of transient kids coming through that want to go racing and then realise what the lifestyle's actually like when you get there. Um, so, yeah, but uh, Formula One in those days, you know, we were V10 um, with, you know, on the engines. I was mainly engines for, for a, a large part of it. Um, you know, adjustable trumpets, uh, early versions of drive by throttle early paddle shifts, clutch control, those sorts of things. So it was something that, um, you know, that, I think we'd gone from, um, you know, carby cars or turbo cars or injected cars to then sort of the early versions of what today is, I guess, with, with multiple systems all over them and everything's controlled and all the rest of it. Mm. I think I am happened to be there at the time when people were going into that area. You know, what, what McLaren were producing electronics was that those days were amazing. And, you know, engines, you know, we, we did an engine from ground up at one point, you know, and the whole thing weighed 90 kilograms. Um, it was uh, uh, ran to 18,000 RPM and, and was meant to. I don't know if we ever got there. Produced, you know, 600 kilowatts. So, um, you know, and you could pick the bloody thing up on the bench and put it in the back of the ute if you needed to, sort of thing. And, and you know, life on them was 500 kilometres. So you'd put it in for the race Sunday and it'd have to last the following weekend. It'd have to do Friday and Saturday and then you'd drop the new race engine in and, and then it was a full rebuild. You know, and there was no yeah, it was amazing. It was massive budgets, lots of boffins, heaps of propeller heads just spinning away, doing their thing. It was great.
2: It's one of my personal favourite eras of Formula One, that the period you were at Arrow, sort of 98 through 02, um, amazing-looking race cars. You mentioned the V10, which is still, to this day, the best-sounding engine that's been made this yeah. side of a Rolls-Royce Merlin in a Spitfire. Um <laughs> But but just, just a phenomenal era of cars. Well, you were at Arrows for four years, I think. What ninety-eight yeah, ninety-eight. To yeah. The end. yeah. Yeah. And and right through so A 20, 21, There's an arrows A21 in South Australia. There is. is just an unbelievably cool car that Josh Keane has got and drives extremely well when it runs. Um just yeah. what, what was it like being on the on the forefront of a, a smaller team but with a pretty decent technical package and There were great guys in the team there, like Mike Coughlin, um, Egg Bull Harmony was one of the designers, aerodynamicists, right through quality people working at that team. As small as it might have been, it was still a really cool little race team, wasn't it? Oh, it was
3: fantastic. It was, um, you know, Tom never put together idiots. So, you know, he always had good people. Um, And I think when you get to Formula 1, even the little teams, they're big. You know, uh, if I remember correctly and – I'm Probably not even meant to say these days, but I, I think in those days we spent, you know, our budget was like 50 million pounds. Yeah, and I think at the time it was suggested that Ferraris was like you know 350 million pounds or whatever it was. Um, they're, they're the numbers I remember of it, but yeah, you know, we were spending a million pounds a week, so you never felt like you're in a little team, you know. Yeah. So at one point, um, you know, my boss came to me and, and we'd had some equipment given to us from a company called AVL that did in, in- cylinder pressure measurement, and um. So we decided we were going to head down the path of doing that to understand what it was and of course nobody had ever done it so you know the boss handed it to the propeller kid you know off you go mate have some fun with this and we spent months in the dyno um, playing with this thing until we started properly measuring in cylinder pressure and from there you know we were able to use that then to analyze combustion processes which then led into engine modeling so we we got organ um got involved with a, a young guy that was uh, I think it was at the uh, University of Manchester. And um, that they had this massive big four cylinder boat motor. It was like four story high, thing, think. And um, flat out it was doing 150 revs or whatever it was. But um, he had been doing work modeling the combustion process. So we got involved with them. And of course that led us to do other things. And um, you know, we, we started designing engines around modeled data, so, you know, we got to one point where we were able to use that program to run multiple CAM profiles through an analysis and then say, well, rather than build five of them, we'll just build two of them and confirm if the data, you know, correlates, and we know we've done the right thing. And, and eventually you got to the point where that worked. And so yeah, it really was um, it was like a kid in a candy shop, you know, for for a guy that wanted to go car racing, you were just given all the toys um and so yeah like i say, i never felt like we were in a little team we were just flat out doing stuff and and if you know there was no no limits on how you spent it there was there were, you know it was all about gun racing and getting a return based on time on lap time not on on how much you'd spent so you know you obviously still had to adjust well they're not stupid every single person and you know even the cleaners a clever cleaner um and so uh you know, that that sort of thing definitely happened, but um yeah, it was it was definitely along the lines of look, you know, justify why we want to do something and then go ahead and, and get on with the science. So um yeah, it was pretty fantastic.
0: I think you were away for about a, a total of a dozen or so years. You had the F1 no, experience, not, Le Mans, not, but, yeah, A1 GP, Indy <laughs> Racing League as well. Yep. All that experience that you gathered in that time, how transferable was that when you got back to Australia to uh to kick off again? in 2005 with uh, HSV and, and the Holden Racing Team?
3: It, um, in some ways, it was amazing. It, it's something that, as I've become an old grump, and uh, <laughs> my da- daughter will completely confirm I'm grumpy, um, I, I, There is part of me is disappointed coming home that we don't have... Um, I understand why, so don't get me wrong at bagging it, but but I wish we had more technology involved i understand that when we look at our categories and we have to control costs and all the rest of the thing i'm fully you know in, in my days of management now i fully understand about looking after the budget but at the same time it was that to me motorsport is all you know i'm a bit of a purist it's always about whether everyone wants to tell you it's about the drivers in my own view it's about the whole gig you know um and so you know, I've seen plenty of old bikes who, who get more enjoyment walking around the paddock looking at the differences in the cars than they do out of watching them crashing into each other on the track. So uh, I guess um, part of me felt that, still does feel that the what a lot of what I'd learned over there I was unable to apply here, which has been disappointing. Um, however, there are other parts that I learned over there that really were great to apply here. So the, um, oh, you know, it just what I'd learned from you know, just going racing uh, straight out the box was always going to be a good thing. Um, but then being able to apply some of the more um, analytical approaches to things, I think in those days, you know, we, I remember specifically in Oh five, I think it was Oh um, six, whichever year it was, we started using Carl Jacobs uh, analysis software in uh, at, at the Holden special vehicles dealer team. And, um, remember going to Tassie uh, specifically and Teco and I had come up with a strategy of uh, what these days you, you know you're always hear on the television, undercuts and overcuts, we were overcutting. So we were letting old mate go first and then we'd use hot tire, push like buggery for a lap. And But we we made sure all the time that we were sitting in the right spot because uh, every race we'd lost the start. So Carth was sitting in second behind whoever it was. So we used that strategy to win all three races that year. And, and um, I, that I look back at that really fondly that we'd sort of, you know, the technology was still pretty new people are starting to use it, but we'd used it that weekend and, you know, really made a difference with it. So it was those sorts of things that I felt were great when we came back.
2: So you spent five years, as you said at arrows after that, I think you were at Zytec when you for a while.
3: Yeah. I went to Zytec for uh, oh, three years, whatever it was, um, which was uh at the end of the TWR days we'd done, um, the other half of the engine department were doing IndyCar stuff with yeah. uh, the Nissan Infinity engine. So I got involved in that a bit. That was my first Indy 500. And then um, I went to, when, when arrows went under, we all run like bats, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the mouse plague, off you go. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so there were quite a few of the old boys up there. So I went up to Zytec they asked me up. And um, initially we did a year of IRL, it was new. Uh, Motorola were gearing up for the the reunification that was coming the year after. Uh, So we ran Zytec Systems for Honda um, in 03, I guess it was. Um, So we did that and then uh, at the same time, A1 was starting to happen, so I got involved in that Had a a really good mate who was putting that together. Um, A guy called Stephen Watson who was uh, a driver from Arrows, amongst other things. Um, But uh, South African like fantastic old boy, good mate uh, and uh, he was putting that so we cut a deal, I, I hassled the owner, uh, of Bill Gibson of Zytec that we could have a go at this and um, he, he let me after a bit of whinging <laughs> and we managed to do the deal for uh, engines, uh, gearbox control, engine control and, and electrical so we did that uh, and at the same time we also got into uh, uh, to, um, Le Mans stuff so uh, we started doing LMP1 prototypes which was awesome, that was yeah. fantastic, loved it if I went back, I'd be probably going straight there, I think.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny. You mentioned before how the technology plays such a, a role for you in the sport, sort of prototype racing at the moment's, In a way, that and Formula One, they're the two last bastions of real free thinking yeah. engineering where uh, genius boffins behind the scenes can make a massive difference as much as the driver can.
3: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think now I'm a bit selfish about it and a bit silly, I think the uh, the prototype guys do similar stuff with much smaller crews. Mm. So, you know, where, you know, most of the F1 teams these days are all sitting on, you know, five, 600 employees. Um, the prototype programs are much smaller. Um, so, yeah, in that regard, um, yeah, they do all the technology and they probably have more access to more of it. I think they have more fun. Yeah. yeah. There's more propellers to spin on one head, I think. So, yeah. Um, that for me that's all the good place to be
2: so what uh, what spurred the move back to in 2005 the holden racing team
3: um oh, i don't know it was i think we just come to that point i'd been over there for you know unfortunately lucky folks know too much but sort of 10 12 years whatever it was i think it was about 10 but um uh it was probably time to come home for a bit um and uh you know it I suppose we all grew up with that we'll race for food mentality. But, um, you know, at that point I was thinking families and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, you thought, oh, well, we'll go and have a look and see what's in ours," because it had been such a long time. So we came back. Um, so I spoke to Tom um, before I left the UK and um, he sent me off to go and get involved, so, um, which was pretty cool. It was, again, just Tom lending a hand, so uh, I think you always had to make sure you helped Tom too, but um, it was great, and it was good to be back with him. It was really good fun.
0: Jeez, and coming back to back-to-back championships, Rick Kelly yeah. Garth Tander, uh, how easy is this key?
3: Yeah, it was alright, wasn't it? Um, I think I think you got to make sure we get in this podcast that I was happened to be in the right place at the right time quite a few times, so um, uh, I'd like to tell you that it was all me, but it wasn't. It was... Um, incredibly good bunch of blokes um you know the the what was Kmart racing because it, that's the side I entered into initially mm. uh was the Kmart side not um uh, not the HRT side that came a little bit later I mean obviously we're all the same family but um yeah w- what Robert put together for that team under Kreno's guidance you know and there was plenty of other good guys around and obviously everybody talked but um They were an incredibly good bunch of guys. They were so ready to go, and I just happened to get pumped in the middle of it uh, at the right time, and uh, we won some stuff. It was great.
0: (laughs) That year with Rick, take us through that year, because it must have been a frustrating year to an extent that it wasn't a dominating year for Rick, was it? It was just a a consistent year for Rick that actually got him the title.
3: Absolutely, you know, but isn't that... I mean, didn't Jack say, uh, old Jack Braven said, you know, win by the least possible margin? So, um, we we actually followed the checks. We did it real well. Um, I think, I think at that time there were a lot of good drivers in about supercars too, you know, so, so blazing off and winning all the time wasn't going to be that straightforward. And I think Rick had 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 plenty of experience by that point. And, um, you know, we just in our stable alone, we had four solid cars, all four could win races and did. Mm. So, um, so, ultimately, it was, I think, a, a controlled mentality. And maybe that's a little bit of what we did do with, with the other team uh, through those couple of years was to focus about, you know, just keeping our heads and, and getting the big job done um, was, you know, probably part of it. I th- the year before, Teko and I, we he might disagree with him because I spoke to him about this recently, but um, we'd, we started what we called the Financial Year Championship the year before and, um, and the whole point of it was only for ourselves to look at um, a way to gauge how we were going. So it wasn't about winning anything. It was just about to say, look, everyone talks about the championship. So, you know, whoever's had a good start, the good end, and all the hoo-ha at the end, and, you know, you blokes wax on lyrical about it all the time and drive us all nuts with, you know, clearly incorrect appraisals of what's going on <laughs> and uh <laughs> right and um so yeah so we sort of looked at it from june to or july to june and um so coming into the middle of the next year we sort of we knew that that for the last 12 months period we were we'd won so it just let everybody be a bit calm and um you never felt massively under the pump to you know we've got to go out and win by 100 miles and Drivers weren't arriving, you know, qualifying fifth and having to be in front by the first corner. Um, we were probably able to alleviate some of that pressure a bit, I think. Um, I don't know that we meant to do it at the time, but looking back, I think that's sort of what it did do. And um, so Rick's approach was never about just going out and winning by 10 laps. It was about getting a job done. And, um, and he drove really smart. He was um, he impressed me lots. You know, Rico's a great guy anyway. Um, he was pretty young in those days. So um, keeping him, you know, I used to often reach in the car before the race and grab a handful of his jumper or his overalls and rough him up a bit and sort of say, "Come make the focus on." And, and he really was good at it, you know. And, and in the end, because we had two drivers who are, you know, taking points off each other to begin with, um, you know, if if Garth hadn't had his results, then Rick's probably would have even been a bit better than they were, and vice versa. So, you know, we had we genuinely had two competitors. There was none of this one preferred side of the garage everyone got a fair go even go they 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 got on between the drivers incredibly well mm. and and there was never a crossword in the team you know Robert have a, a bit of a moan every now and again and we'd all point out to them that he didn't really matter too much just <laughs> back in your corner there mate. and uh, but we we did everyone just got on and we got on with it and I think that's why Rick you know I, I know I've heard that said before but to me I think it was one of the purest championships there was because consistently he was just the best bloke Mm.
2: Uh, we could spend an entire podcast talking about that era of, of hrt and the dealer team and everything that went around it but i want to throw three names at you and just get your sort of instant thoughts on those to sort of cover this era off uh the first one garth tander
3: uh Well, he's a good mate, so I've got to be nice, don't I?
2: Um, (laughs) He listens as well every now and then, does GT, yeah. He hasn't rung yet, so uh, he's clearly not
3: listening to this. Um, It's really one of those things for me, I honestly think there are times during those days, if you give him a tractor, he was going to win the race. Um, He was one of the most complete race car drivers I'd ever seen. Uh, Loved working with him. He had plenty of grumps about him at times, and, and we've got plenty of good stories. There's three podcasts in you know the, the banter around the, the garage at the time and some of them are pretty good stories you can ask him one day about doing a whole team debrief looking in the corner not looking at any of us things like that were great, for. but um, that- <laughs> yeah. but the reality of it is that we all off i genuinely feel we all learned from each other a lot we all pulled together really well and i look back at it so fondly i honestly believe and i really hope he's not watching um if he if he'd been given a formula one car at the time and the time to settle himself into it, he was going to win. Mm. If you'd put him, like I said, if you put him in a tractor race, he would have won it. He was Mm. um, to me. Awesome. Just awesome. And I I don't think he gets the credit he should get these days. You know, he, he's won a lot. um, And he is one of our great, great drivers. Sorry. And he's still there. Yeah, absolutely. 100% yeah. still there.
2: Reigning oh, Masters champion. He's made him, we'll have to get that in. He's made him look good last year. Yeah, know? okay, sure. Yeah. Carried him. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, Mark Scaife.
3: Yep, Scaife, Um. I was, my involvement with Scaife was his last couple of years. Um. It's hard to, I guess it was a, you know, superstar thing really for me coming back that uh, he, he was the one in our organisation that was the superstar, you know, because Lounsey wasn't with us at that point. Um, so he was the famous, but, you know, the, his last weekend at Oran Park was incredible. Every time he'd open the door on the truck, there'd be thousands of people hanging outside trying to get to him. Mm. And, um, you know, there were a couple of times where I sort of grabbed him and to get him in the garage, push him through the crowd down, sorry, I need him. Sorry, I need him. And they just, everybody wanted a handful of him. So um, he, uh To me, dealing, probably the most significant thing in that time, the way he dealt with the pressure and then kept on doing the job was pretty impressive, you know. Um, I was probably overseas during his best years, um, but he still won stuff, you know, and and right to the end, he was still good. And then the other memory is probably uh, the uh, hard pill to swallow for me. Uh, The year we put him and Murph together at Tasman Um, Safety car,
0: bloody safety car I
3: was just (laughs) going to say exactly that I genuinely believe they had the race in hand We undenared about taking the pit stop uh, That we needed to take at the time And we decided to push into the window To make the stop a bit shorter So uh, I'll never forget it And then um, I heard Tim come on the radio And say, you know, safety car, safety car And we all screamed down the radio to get in and, And he was right next to pit entry So he had to do another lap, Murph was in the car had to do another lap uh, behind him. And uh, and I think we came out six or something. And, uh, you know, yeah, it was a tragic old day. So, yeah, I remember going to scapey at that point and um, put my head on his shoulder. And uh, I have to admit to almost having a tear over it, really. It was um, gutting.
2: <laughs> well, and, and on that note, my last one about this sort of era was going to be the Bathurst 1000.
3: Oh, yeah, how good is that? You know, it's... Um, uh, as I said, I've been bloody lucky in what I've done. Car racing. You know, I grew up loving it, and and for me, you know, if I got to go to warnable for the Classic, um, it was a big year. You know, you you were stoked that you'd done it. So to to get to go around the world and do Le Mans and Indy and and Grand Prix and all the rest of it was um, bloody amazing. But Bathurst, if it's not the best track on the planet, it's got to be in the top three. Um, you know that. An event like Indy's great, and it is actually a complex track because mm. you know we all grow up down four corners, you know, get on with it, you boys. Um, but it really is um, a ballsy place, um, and Le Mans is the same. But there's no specific thing about Le Mans; um, it's just a big track. You know, there's there's nothing. There's some good corners like everywhere, but but Bathurst is something else. Isn't it? there's a lot of concrete jammed damn close to the windows, and um, and you're going pretty bloody fast. And uh, I think you go up six hundred and something feet from the bottom to the top, and so it's just an event, isn't it? And I think if you add to that, uh, its place in Australian folklore, anyway. You know, even if you're not a motor racing fan, you still tune in first Sunday of October. Didn't it used to be the second Sunday of October? Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's Australian folklore, so it's a big day out. The build up before it's incredible, and I think it comes back to a bit like I said with Scapy, the guys competing in that event they uh, walk out to start that race under incredible pressure. And, uh, you know, it is our, we all say it all the time, it's the grand final, isn't it? But the um, half an hour before, it's pretty bloody good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You still get to go there now, which is great, uh, through Porsche Career Cup Australia. And when the the guys are racing at Bathurst, unfortunately it didn't happen last year. Hopefully it does this year. Uh, Tell us about your time now in PCCA, in Porsches, with Mike Ritter and Sonic Motor Racing uh, it's been a great team, and the the ability and the the opportunity to work with some fantastic young kids, I'm sure, has been the thing that has really turned you on about this. Yeah, I mean,
4: my,
3: my involvement at Sonic is uh, is all Porsche. Occasionally, they let me out to we'll have a play with a Formula Four, but it's very, very rare. <laughs> um, but uh, Mick and Maria run an in incredibly good show, and and the blokes are fantastic blokes. So, short of being, uh, you know, a 50-member v Supercar team. It's as close as you get to that without doing the full thing. So, um, you know, we've had a, a fairly consistent group of guys for a long time. So I, I'm, to some extent, a new bloke. I've only been there seven years. You know, there's guys that have been there a lot longer than me. Um, it's an awesome place. Ritter's proper racer, like a real proper racer. And we all know how grumpy the old bugger is. So um, uh, we love that. And that's part of the fun because it is – um, you never lose the fact that Sonic that we have a lot of fun and mm. uh, the humour side of it is never very far away. Um, it's always something that's it's definitely part of the culture. But at the same time, the uh, proper addressing of the need to have results. I don't want to say win. That sounds pompous, but the fact that we we all understand we've got to get the job done um, is is also right at the core. And I think the balance of those two things is makes it a hell of a lot of fun. So, um, you know, <laughs> um, watching any of us spraying a young bloke in the trucks, always pretty good fun and it happens. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things I definitely learned in Formula One was that, um, you know, if if, if Lewis wins, um, well done Lewis, and uh, and we lose as a team, I think at yeah. the other end of that statement, you know? Yeah. Um, at Sonic, it's win or lose as a team. And uh, and let's get the job done. And um, no matter who we've had in the cars over the years, it's been uh, paramount to do a proper job. You know, it's uh, the support of, of Bob Jane for that team, specifically with the Porsche, has gone on for years. Um, it's a testament to the job Mick does to make that worthwhile. It's a testament to the job that Rod does to, to be able to keep that running. And, and I'd like to personally think that as a group, the team does the right thing to keep that Sponsorship is a valid thing. Um, I think it's good for the sport, I think it's good for the team, I think it's good for everybody. And, and definitely, you know, then it allows us to take some drivers and bring them through because you should be actually right. Some of the young kids that have come out of that place is, you know, you only got to look at the VH that to go grid at Bathurst every year. Yeah. And it's always a minimum of a third, if not more than a half, uh, the guys in the, in the field are exonic ways.
0: But, but and just even moving away from Sonic, just the the series itself and the ability for guys like Michael Campbell, Jackson Evans, even Jordan Love to an extent, they're all just really punching so hard overseas at the moment and doing everyone proud.
3: hundred uh, percent. The one you missed, and, I, and I've got to get him in there. Is Old Foster. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Terrible company with yeah. me if I didn't get that in. Um, yeah, look, it's it's pretty cool, and you know, uh, for me. I guess, um, to some extent, there's a, a, a subculture, if you like, or a separation of the generation, if you want, where there are guys coming through Australian motorsport who aren't aspiring to ride supercars. They're aspiring to go up to sea. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's a nice thing. So, you know, Foster, Jackson, Campbell and Lovey have all made a fist of it. Um, you know, and from a racing perspective, what Maddie Campbell's achieved is awesome. Um, it's just great, you know. Um, and obviously, others are all doing it. I mean, obviously, Jordan got his first year last year. He got covided Yeah. So, um, he's, you know, hopefully he gets a better run this year at it. But uh, all of them are still at it. And, uh, yeah, can't be happier for what Carrera Cup produces. In that Carrera Cup is a, a fantastic series.
2: I, I, I bang on. I, I'm involved in the category. I call it and have done so for a decade. But I, I'll argue till I'm blue in the face that the teams in Carrera Cup are as good as any operating in our sport in this country now at the front end and and we play up the rivalry between you guys at Sonic and McElroy, but it's legitimate because you guys box on every round, every week. It's always, you know, you've all got four cars each. You're always at the front of the field. You've got the best young drivers. It tends to be that those are the two teams telling most of the story. Um, but it's a different philosophy though for you because it's a category that's completely different from your time in Formula One, from your time in supercars where you could influence the technical side so much. This is so much more about the driver management, isn't it? As much as it is about delivering a good race car because there's so little you can do to the actual race car because everyone's got the same mousetrap.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, from the car side of it, it amazed me, I suppose, when I joined Sonic uh, you sort of thought, oh, well, this would be a breeze, do it with my eyes shut. But um, the reality of it is that to get something out of the car and to consistently have the car good, then you've got to find ways to do things that you normally would do other ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, about supercar, if I want to change the springs and dampers, I can, in a Carrera Cup car, I can't. So how am I going to deal with that? How do I adjust the, my elastic rates and the mechanical balances and things like that around it? And it's not easy. So it became more of... Um, from a technical side but it, it actually became a bit of a challenge to understand how we could make those cars go. Um, clearly, McElroy's, they are lucky. There's no skill. Andy's dodgy, and all those. <laughs> <jokes> <laughs> of course. So uh, you
1: it's know. like
0: a marriage between <laughs> Sonic and McElroy. There's, There's no doubt about it. You guys <laughs> love each other so much, but Dodgy no, no, can fight hard. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> no, and like I say, Andy's a dodgy as, and all these blokes follow him. You know, it's yeah. just wrong. Yeah. Um, look, it's. It's one of those things, isn't it? They both run good shows and um, it means, you know, there are other teams that, that take it to us as well. You know, all these oh. had plenty of success and yeah. Ash had some good runs and, and for yeah. everyone else I haven't mentioned 100%. there, that's unfair because there's some really, you know, all the teams are capable. Yeah. Um, I guess that it, it's just that those organisations extend into lots of motorsport and, um, and sometimes that cross-pollination helps you with your category and your general mentality to the approach. So we probably go... Because like you mentioned, Kelsey, it's then down to the driver management side of it. And um, and how, you know, we learning from say, in Gas days, when we worked with trainers and then every driver has a trainer, you know. So early on, training, you want a trainer format, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's it's part and parcel. So, you know, like the year we had Andre at Sonic, he had you know, massive involvement with, with his uh, site coach and trainers and stuff, and, and I got involved in that with him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing in that regard. So um, the driver management definitely is part of it, you know, being able to, um, it's, it's a bit like when v go to Tassie, I guess, isn't it? You know, that the, the whole field's covered by half a 10th because it's a, a bit of a purist joint. There's four corners really in there. So, um, you know, the margins are smaller. So to keep in Carrera Cup, to keep coming out on top, um, you know, and Andy and his mates will testify to this too you've got to be closer to it every time. You can't be fighting back because passing guys in the race is not so easy. So qualifying is important. Um, having a car that looks after its tyres is important because at the end of the race, you know, if you're a tenth of a lap slower than somebody else, you're in all sorts of trouble.
0: Mate, we could go on for a year. There's so much to talk about. Unfortunately, time's going to beat us. There is one more question, though, I do want to ask you, and it's a, on a more serious note. When you oh. finished your time at HRT, how cooked were you? How, how close were you to saying, that's it for me in motor racing, it's, I've just had it? And how happy are you now that you're in an environment that allows you to enjoy life? I'm
3: not sure I can fully answer that these days still. But, um, I don't know. Look, I definitely was a bit cooked. I think uh, I had gardening leave at the end of it. I felt um, pretty disappointed walking away from HRT. You know, I'd spent effectively my whole life you know, if I, I think back to watching Brocky when I was nine years old, um, then to get to, you know, every bit of racing that I had done, basically it was it always had an eye on what happened in that in, in uh, supercars or touring cars here or whatever. So to finally get to that point where I got under the keys at HRT for a bit, you know, albeit all being in a caretaker capacity, but um, but you know we we won Bathurst that year as a group of people to to have a role within it that was senior um, was really rewarding um, and I hadn't had enough of it. So when it came to an end, um, I I fair had a bitter taste in my mouth for a while, I guess, Um, is the right way to put it, or that's probably not the right way to put it. It, it, A disappointment that we we weren't there long enough to do more in that role. You know, I'd had so long, you know, by that stage, I, I guess I'd been racing for 25 years. So um, for it only to have lasted sort of a season or two in that capacity was uh, disappointing. Um, and you're right to me. I mean, I was on Gardening leave, so I couldn't go anywhere for a little while. And I hummed and yeah. about what I would do next. And I'd spoken to some teams. Um, and I often think whether I would, you know, maybe I, I can still do a bit maybe at some point. But uh, at the same time, my daughter was... Um, old enough that she needed dad and, and I'd recently become a single dad. So um, so I took the view that I was going to take a bit of time and be dad first and race a second. So um, after I'd sort of settled down from that uh, a little bit um, and that was probably the right time, I guess. Um, and and I just, especially with Sonic coming along the way it has, um, it was, uh, yeah, I, I'm still... Uh, able to maintain a a fairly competitive streak in motorsport by being at Sonic. And that's probably, in hindsight, allowed me to understand there's a bit more sometimes. You know, I I got involved with, um, Foster was running with a team called Hub Auto. We'd done a bit of work with them. So um, in Blanc Payne stuff with uh, the Ferrari. Slady got involved in it for a bit too. And um, doing things like that, uh, you you can't do when you're in a V8 supercar team. So to have a bit of overseas again and and probably spread the wings in that regard, I probably wouldn't have done it if I'd stayed in too because I'd still be running around burning up the Dunlop. So um, yeah, I think in hindsight, you make the most out of everything you get, don't you? So we're pretty happy.
0: Good on you, mate. Thanks so much for your time, buddy. We really appreciate
2: it. No worries. Good
0: luck with the remainder of the year, whatever it serves up for us. Absolutely. I hope get to go racing.
2: Yes. You know, bloody COVID would be good. No. There's uh, there's one other thing, Shabek's, that maybe we should use the court of public opinion that listened to this podcast <laughs> to decide. Yeah. Um, but for several years now, um I, I feel like only semi-jokingly, <laughs> um Mr. Henry and Mr. Ritter, probably more the Henry side of the argument, I think, have have floated the idea of a uh, Michael uh, and Michael podcast. Oh no, we, we've we've spoken
0: about this in, have in, in series, haven't we?
2: And, Ritter and Henry. And it would be unfiltered. Uh, unfiltered. And podcasting. I'm still happy to do it.
0: I want to do it. Yeah, yeah, well, well, I do want to do it.
2: Well, I yeah. think if if there's a let us see, if if you want that, let us know at the race talk yeah, on absolutely. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, if that's a podcast you'd like to listen to, we can make that happen. Because there'd be some no stories.
3: You, you've got to say, Carlos, you, you have to start with the precursor that if we haven't offended you, wait a minute and we'll get round. <laughs> yeah, <you. laughs> that's exactly yeah.
2: right. <laughs> it's like Melbourne's weather. If you don't like it, wait five minutes. Yeah, exactly we'll, right. We'll, yeah, look, we'll get a, everybody's up for a spray, aren't they? We? We'll get uh, Sven Burkhardt, a friend of Sonic Racing on the line, as our lawyer on hand because we'll probably need that. Yeah. But uh, no, nah, it'll be uh, that'll be quite good fun. Oh, maybe we can make that happen. Let's like make that. it happen. That'd Let's make great. it happen.
0: Good <laughs> on you, Mick. Thanks for your time, <laughs> mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Michael Henry Thank joining you. us here on The Grid. All right, Crousey, joining us, as he always does for a chat, is Mark Walker, of course, from theracetalk.com as well. Hello, Mark.
4: Shabrexter, Crousey, we're here podcasting again, isn't it good? It, it is, is.
0: Just a couple of days left in lockdown, hopefully for us Victorians.
4: Hmm, sure. I believe you. I <laughs> <laughs> don't know if anyone else does.
0: Uh, It was actually quite interesting, uh, the chat that I had with Tim Edwards earlier, uh, speaking about the conditions that they're in. They're they're stuck on the Central Coast at a beautiful resort right on the beach, but totally under Victorian conditions. They're only allowed to go out for shopping and exercise. That's it. Otherwise, they're going to spend the rest of the time in their hotel. And I was quite surprised to hear Tim say that the team that is up there at the moment won't and hasn't seen their cars since they left Melbourne a week and a half ago and won't see them until next Wednesday when they arrive in Darwin. The car's still fully set up for Winton, and they've got about a day and a half to get them ready for Darwin.
2: Far from ideal, isn't it? But then again, these race teams have become quite good at operating on the fly in the last 18 months. So really, it's much of a muchness for the Victorian teams, especially working on the road, tuning things up on the road, and and they'll be able to turn their cars around quite quickly from from what the Winton spec would be to what the, the Darwin... Spec is, it's a, a change of final drive ratio, put the correct setup in, get them on the patch, get them square, move on. They'll be able to turn them around. I don't think it'll affect their performances
4: too much. Yeah, they're big boys now. I mean, it'd be just a case of putting that setup in, putting the, you know, it's the same shocks, isn't it? I mean, yep. it's just having the the basic setup on the shocks done right and uh, plugging the setup and that gear in and away they go. It's,
2: it's interesting, the interesting though, that though
4: since um, Sorry, Shebex, right. that uh, when Winton was cancelled, Stagy and Red Bull went testing at QR sort of thing yeah. just off the cuff. It's like, well, we've got these cars here, prep, let's do this. So uh, they've been able to get a bit of track time in there. Whether that helps or not, um, it's another story.
0: The only thing that Tim did flag as a, an, a, not a major issue, but an issue will be is the fact that they didn't have that soft launch of the super soft tyre at Winton to learn it. They go to a track that's a very high deg track in Darwin with these tyres. It's going to be really interesting to see how they perform.
2: Same for everyone though. Shebeks oh, without and, and a joke. yes, they're, they're not allowed stick to, with everyone. Yeah, they're not allowed to test on that tire either. So you know, the Queensland teams getting a day away at QR won't change anything about their performance at, at Hidden Valley. I wouldn't have thought there's there's not a great degree of similarity between the two tracks either. So yeah, I, I don't think it's going to cause a massive drama. And I've got complete faith in these race teams, as good as they are these days, um, to turn things around and, and be bang on the money. And certainly for Cam Orders, who's you know, rebuilding a frustrating start to the season, coming off the back of a win at the bend um, and a really good burnout. He's going to want to pick up where he left off from a Tickford point of view and, um, and score some big points up in the top end where traditionally they haven't had a, an enormous run, have they off the top of my head? They haven't haven't had a a great run up there. So maybe this is a a chance to turn things around. Oh, JC was on the podium there last year. Yeah. Extreme circumstances, but yeah, I agree. Sure. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, exactly right. Uh Jimmy's boys, we saw a great race of Formula 1 at Azerbaijan. It uh, had everything you'd want out of an F1 race, which was fantastic.
2: Yeah, it was beauty. And it was it was what we said the other week, Shebex, was that it's amazing, isn't it, when you get a championship with more than two competitive teams, how the racing product improves so much. And this is exactly what's happened in Formula 1, is that the, the field is compacted, we're in what the eighth year of the current set of regulations seventh or something like that um, Merck's off the boil a little bit, Red Bull's strong, but then Ferrari have regained some ground and then you've got teams like AlphaTauri and um, the artist formerly known as Jordan at the front as well so it's great Like it was a cracking race, big drama, some tyre issues, everything you want out of a Grand Prix, fully endorse the Michael Massey decision to red flag the race and restart rather than finishing under safety car, Um that that was something Formula One has lacked in the past, was a mind towards what makes the better show. And that was definitely for the show. And boy, did it deliver. It was such a good finish to the race. And, And we got an outstanding podium as a result of that and all the drama you want from a Grand Prix.
4: And the outstanding bit was, Channel 4 in the UK, Mark Webber squealing. Yes, when Hamilton, Hamilton really? fired
2: it off. Yeah.
4: Oh, that was fantastic. Go and find that one, Shebex, to put up the front of the show. Oh, really? it, was, yeah. uh, it was pretty special. The other bit there is Lewis Hamilton forgot his magic switch. Yeah. Which reminds me so much of my son. when he. The best toy we've got here is our cars. And he just gets in there and presses all the buttons. And you'll be driving down the street. Oh, the the seat warmers on. Oh, the headlights are pointing off to the side. It's <laughs> had no idea what went on there, and he's just absolutely sprayed at the first corner and uh, dropped a ton of spot, a um, ton of points in the championship as well, which is pretty important there. So, yeah, good podium. I wake up Monday morning, you see that as the podium. Go, oh, I need to investigate this. Yeah, yeah. Was Hamilton
0: a... doing that the equivalent of uh, Tiger Woods shooting a seven over on a par oh, three or something?
2: Yeah, it just but, proves that well, these guys
0: are actually human.
2: It, it'd be Tiger shooting seven over, but being in front by two shots going into the final hole because yeah. Lewis was in the absolute yeah. prime position to win that race. And with Verstappen out, it was an enormous thing for the championship coming into some races that are going to suit the Red Bulls. So going into Austria and, and circuits like that, they reckon will suit Red Bull. So yeah, for the uh, championship point of view, it was the best result because all of a sudden there was going to be this big swing back the way of uh, old Lewis. But in the end, it, it's squared between the two of them because they both scored no points.
4: Have they actually finished that qualifying session yet? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was
2: <laughs> that was average. That the irony, I was I was waiting for the conspiracy theorists after another Ferrari shunted at the end and gave them a pole position again. But um yeah that was that was pretty messy. Four red but, flags was it? Uh yeah? For it the was. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. I think it's up there with a the record in Formula One. But it was great like from an entertainment point of view that race was terrific and that that's what you want the funny thing is it was closer to an IndyCar car racing style and how it played out than it was a formula one race and that speaks to the volumes of how good IndyCar car racing was but uh terrific stuff it's it's pretty compelling at the moment and give them a racetrack where they can overtake a little bit and and, an even field and you end up with a pretty good product
4: other big takeaway from the weekend there was Formula Two. Oscar Piastri. Uh, yeah. He's got a lot of real deal about him, doesn't he? Yeah. Rookie. And he's up there absolutely knocking it out of the park. P two there again on Sunday.
2: Yeah. Even with a penalty. Yep. Um, which was probably deserved an unsafe release, but not his fault. Um, the the big stories I think were Liam Lawson's penalty for uh driving that car on the start hard across the road and and he was a bit up in the air about it, but you know, you drove the guy into pit exit, which is out of bounds. So probably okay. Um, and then the old three wide, and Dan Tictum lost it completely with that little moment there, barreling up the inside, trying to make it three wide into a 90 degree left hand corner. Didn't work particularly well. But, gee, Oscar's, yeah, for a guy in his first year of Formula Two, man, he's super, super impressive. And you feel like there's a couple of really big results coming his way fairly soon.
0: Yeah, the great thing is is it means we've got a couple of great young Aussies who are really pushing at the top of their game. Of course, Oscar Piastri in F2. And let's not forget Remy Gardner, who's already been given the green flag to go MotoGP next year as well, which gives us two Aussies in that field, which would be fantastic.
2: Yeah, isn't that good news? We don't normally talk about the old bikes on this, but um, I've been watching a bit of MotoGP lately, and it's terrific racing, great theatre as always. But how good's that? Second gen Gardner in the bikes. I mean... We we sort of the it was Casey Casey factor for a long time there and Jack Miller's now sort of starting to get that appeal that Stoner had here in Australia for a while. But in, in what is a Moto GP mad country, it's got such a big fan base here. But having Gardner back on the grid, man, like GP Corp will be hoping that the AGP comes back in twenty-one at Phillip Island. Get, like having a Gardner in the premier class at Phillip Island in Moto GP, like I mean that's Surely that's five thousand tickets sold for them, on top of what they would have just having that name back on the MotoGP grid. Like that is enormous for Australian two wheel yeah. fans. It's massive.
0: Yeah, agree with you, boss.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, big announcement this week about a new wild card for supercars. Richie Stanaway and Greg Murphy. Yeah. We, uh, first of all, surprised about the the matchup of those two.
2: And oh, be- we. Well- are we though? Because it's a it's a Boost Mobile idea and nothing's surprising with them really, is it? So No. I, I mean I can understand
0: well, the Richie Stadaway part. I wasn't sure that Greg Murphy was sponsored by Boost. Well he was.
4: He yeah. okay. was the original back in the day, yeah. Go. Correct. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah.
2: Yep. And and at GRM in that last year, that didn't end particularly well. Um yeah, the, the whole idea for mine, a a wildcard needs to either be a meaningful driver development thing. Uh or a meaningful addition to the race that adds value to the race.
0: Two overseas guns or something like that.
2: Yeah. So so the Andretti, you know, the Rossi Hinchcliffe thing, you know, yeah. it, it engaged Napa really closely, it engaged the Yanks with the IndyCar fan base, and it, it certainly got some traction over there, and that was all terrific. Um The Pussy the, Wagon. Yeah. Y- <laughs> That's probably a little bit different, but there, well, but yeah, that, I mean, that was an all-girl thing, so that yeah, exactly. that was an addition Good. to the race. Yeah. Um, the the Russell Ingle super cheap thing is a sponsor going. We want to mix things up because we're not the naming right sponsor anymore, and it and it's a combination of a former Bathurst winner and a young bloke. So that to mine is whether you like them or not doesn't matter. Is is a meaningful addition, and you're bringing back Greg Murphy, who's one of the greats of Mount Panorama and Australian touring car racing. That that's a meaningful addition to the race. That's probably worth hundred thousand people watching on sky NZ for that race this year. And it, it's worth fans at the gate because Greg Murphy to this day is a household name in Australian motor racing. So, you know, Peter Addison could be spending money on golf or football or lawn bowls for all I care, but he's spending it in car racing. And it's going to be an addition to the race that gets some news and get some stories. And look, here we are June eight and primetime TV is talking about the Bathurst 1000. So
4: good. Good. Um, It's good to see Boost Mobile there, the youth telco sponsoring Greg Murphy from the retirement house. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, slightly mixed messages there, but you know. (laughs) The win. So, who's going to do better between the Erebus Boost wildcard with Stanaway and Murphy and the Triple Eight Super Cheap wildcard with Ingall and Brock Fanny? Well,
2: I think in quality, I I reckon Feeney in a T8. Yeah. car by then is probably going to be the fastest of the four
0: mm-hmm.
2: would be my off the cuff bet over a race. Erebus have had good cars at Bathurst for the last three or four years. Mm. So they've, they've tended to go pretty well there. Um, You know, T8, the last time they ran a wild card, they probably should have won the thing. Um, But with two absolute gun internationals in it. So yeah, I I, I don't know.
4: I don't know. It'll be interesting. You know, Murphy and Engel have been out of it for so long that yeah. it's hard just to plug in there. It's not like they're doing a full season of Porsches or development series coming into it. They're yeah. just coming off the bench, and that's going Is to be Murph difficult.
2: probably slightly more current. He's been doing some rallying. He's been yeah. he ran the New Zealand Grand Prix. Yeah. Um, Engel's done some jumpy trucks.
4: but Murph looks fit too, doesn't he? Yeah. He looks trim. Yep. yep. And that takes him out of that... Uh, pit lane commentary role too that yeah, we've been saying all along that he'd be coming back and doing a bit of pit lane but uh, that's not going to be on the agenda is it
2: though so surely there'll be a role he'll he'll be i mean how if you're fox sports and seven like you roll into that race and you've got two of your reporters actually in the race like with garth with svg and greg murphy i mean that's it, they're going to get some good insight aren't they from a broadcast point of view that's that's mint and, and, and Jack Perkins with Lousy seven as well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, And I'm Craig Lance. That's Lounce. <laughs> a whole bloody team. Crompton will be making a comeback next. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, yeah. Uh, genuinely interesting to see who ends up fastest out of the wildcard. That's going to be a cool little underlining story. And our, our debrief at the Great Wall Chinese restaurant on Sunday night of this year's great race, God willing. Uh, I reckon there's going to be some good stories to tell.
4: Yeah, well way. invite folks and it'll all be in auto action the next well, week is really apparently are. the season, <laughs> Yeah.
2: I, I I reckon we record it as a podcast.
0: Getting some good ideas this week.
2: I reckon we record it as a podcast. And we'll just have the, the beep put, filter on. Put put it behind a paywall somewhere. We can yeah. actually yeah. Uh... Yeah, correct. KO would do anything these days. They'll they'll take it. <laughs> yes. They run a show with Reynolds and Caruso. So you know, why not?
0: <laughs> I'll fill it with a couple of iPhones, and we'll uh, get some video with it as Little well. The
2: bath debrief. I like yeah, it. No, good, good, stuff. Lots of news, and um, hey, in a week where or a month where we've lost a, a supercar round for the short term, um, pretty good news generation from from motor racing. And and we lost a uh, an ARG round as well, which has been postponed. Morgan Park now to August um, to keep the news stories going like that. And peak football season is uh, a bit of a win for motor racing
4: except there was that one buried on Friday afternoon. It was buried on Friday afternoon, Rich. You might not have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you miss that one? At, at no, five I, I didn't, on I didn't miss
2: it. I was trying to avoid it. But uh... we, we,
4: say, we say things about the communications department at Supercars, but they've absolutely nailed that one by jamming it out there at five o'clock on Friday that they're going to delay Gen 3.
0: But I'll throw this to you. Is that still a thing? Late Friday afternoon bury the bury the lead at 435 yeah. o'clock because, yeah, because the whole whether, news cycle so different now with the
2: internet yeah but whether you're going to print on a newspaper or, or and, and for those that aren't aware, the whole idea is that that you release something at five o'clock Friday night because no one cares at five o'clock Friday night they're at the pub or they're with their family or doing whatever they're doing um, I think it's still it's still a terrible time to put a press release out with yeah. big news. But and, and it's still the time you put your bad news release out and, and postponing the Gen 3 stuff. Whether it's bad news or good news, I'm, I honestly don't know because it might be the best thing for Gen 3 that's happened is actually putting a finite
4: date on when they're actually going to launch the bloody thing. Okay, but be- the st- uh, sorry Schmeck, the statement right. did read Supercars thanks fans for their ongoing interest and looks forward to showcasing the various stages of the Gen Three program during upcoming broadcasts and the supercars.com website and social channels as we ramp up I shouldn't have breathed then, there was no comma no, and right. ramp up information and inventory surrounding the project. So there you go. That was the statement. I was mm-hmm.
0: gonna congratulate your son, Mark, for the uh, drawing of that chassis too, the Gen
2: three <laughs> chassis. Why would they release a picture of the actual chassis? <laughs> In the flesh, like welded steel, chromoly tubing, whatever it is, and then they released the CAD. I don't. the, yeah. the ty- it was uh,
4: bass but, backwards. If but you, the the, the guy, the guys at Pace and Triple Eight, they just made that up. They yeah. just they had some stick drawings that they just based it on, and no, oh, going to weld yeah, that there up. We go. Yeah, uh, t- to be honest. It, it's, a, it's another case of who cares. There's bigger problems. There are actual problems in the world that, to get upset about. Mm. This being delayed isn't the end of the world. It gives them time to get their stuff together. Everyone's going to be hot to trot. It's no stress. You look at NASCAR. When they brought in the COT, was that back in 2007, mm. it was phased in gradually during a season. It yeah. wasn't a hard cutover that, all right, Sydney, we're going to roll up here with this new chassis. They go, right, this race here, we're going to have the new chassis. We'll have it again in a few weeks' time. We'll have it a, So who cares? You know, this sort of stuff's happened before and the world moves on. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. Traditionally, whenever a new
2: car rolls out, Brad Jones Racing, nail it. Right? Car of the future, rolled out fast from the outset. I'm going to go and chuck... So I don't even know who's driving for them next year. I don't think they do, except for Nick, Nick Perkow will be one of them. But go and chuck some early cash on them for Bathurst next year. Because first couple of rounds, new car, Bathurst will be... If it's this calendar, it'll be what, the third round
0: of the new car, of yeah.
2: Gen three. So she'll it'll be, be bra- City Motorsport brand- Park,
0: the bend, and then probably yeah,
2: probably, yeah. Whatever the warm up is next year. So brand new car going into the one thousand. She's she's gonna be uh properly interesting, I wouldn't have thought. Will it roll it'll rule out wild cards next year, surely, won't it? Yep. Wouldn't have thought. Yeah. The great race. Because they they're gonna have jobs on just building
4: twenty what will be oh, twenty six yeah, cars yeah. rather than uh, but money talks, doesn't it? I mean, if well, yeah, you've got the coin, you can dolly yeah. it up and you can get Greg Murphy off the bench.
0: Yeah. Having said that, though, Tim Edwards did stress before that while it was delaying the racing release of the Gen 3 car, all cars are expected, all teams are expected to have a car on track by February of next year.
2: Yeah. So you can so, you can bet your bottom dollar that at wherever the pre-season test is or at the first round next year, and we still don't know that, Um There'll they'll be Gen 3 cars barreling around, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I, I'd put cash money on that. I don't do that very often.
4: Mm. Mm.
2: So there you go. Because uh-huh. who has cash money? Always great <laughs> exactly. to
0: catch. Always great to catch up, boys. We'll do Good it again. Good show, you this one. When we preview what should be a very, very exciting Darwin.
2: Yes. Looking forward to watching it from the warmth of my living room.
0: <laughs> yeah. I might go down to the Williamstown boat club and watch it from there just
4: so i feel like i'm sort of in darwin yes because oh, it'll
2: be it'll be 30 degrees down at williamstown
4: won't it <laughs> minus 30 well i'm gonna see if i can mail order some of those big nt stubbies yeah <laughs> that's that tastes dirt. a bit like dirt <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about the ones that said see you oh no no yeah, no you okay, can't do right. that no, no no you can oh, anyway. catch you next week
0: guys see you later and oh, we'll bye. catch you next week too thanks for joining us right here on the grid